If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. I'm just going to read one verse tonight, verse 6. Ezra 7, verse 6. I'm reading to you of the King James Version. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Here tonight, I want to talk about the hand of God being on your life, why it's important and what it does. If you would, bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you be with Jonathan right now and you strengthen him in his body. I pray, Lord, for the other ones that are unable to make it tonight, whether it's because of work or sickness. And I pray, Lord, for those that are here tonight, Father, Lord, that you will strengthen them and encourage them. And I pray, Father, Lord, that we will all leave this place being encouraged by the word. Have your way here tonight, God, and do what it is only you can do. Lord, help me to preach, and Father, Lord, help them to hear, but not only to hear, but to receive. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and we ask, amen. The hand of God. Ezra is a very interesting book. Ezra was a scribe by training, but a priest by calling. How many of you know that the day you got saved, that you were entered into the ministry? It does not matter your background. It doesn't matter your level of education. It doesn't matter where you went to school or how long you went to school. Simply the day you got saved, your life was no longer your own, but simply you were commissioned by God in the Great Commission. God is not above calling anybody. He called Luke, which was a vision. Peter was a fisherman. Ezra was a scribe. God will use whoever will allow themselves to be used. No one has a past that is too bad. Saul was a murderer and had Stephen killed. Moses murdered a man, but God still used him to take the children of Israel across of the Red Sea. There is no past that is too bad. There is nothing that you cannot overcome. Gideon said it like this. He said, I feel like I'm the least in all of my house. David, a small shepherd boy, the youngest of all his brothers, when Samuel was going to anoint someone to be the next king, he kept passing over his brothers, and the Holy Spirit said, no, not him, and the Holy Spirit chose David. So maybe you're the youngest. Maybe you're the one that's overlooked. Maybe you're the one that didn't make straight A's in school, but I want to tell you here tonight, like Ezra, if you will make yourself available to God, God can use you to do amazing and mighty things. For the prophet Isaiah, uh, God said, whom shall we send? And he said, Lord, send me, I'll go. I want to ask you here tonight, have you made yourself available for the Lord to use you however he wants to use you? And when I say however, do you truly want what God wants? If God wants to send you into the mission field in Africa, are you ready to go? If God wants you to witness to a co-worker at work, are you willing to do that? Or simply, will you make yourself available to do whatever it is that God wants you to do? It can be a scary decision to make because you never know what God may call you to do. I saw this funny picture the other day on Instagram. It was a face of someone. They thought that God would send them to do missions in Hawaii when really he was sending them to the Middle East. It will kind of make you think. You never know what God may tell you to do, but so we must obey him and be willing to do whatever it is. Here it is in Ezra. I find it very interesting. The Bible says in verse 6, 
that he was already scribe in the law of Moses, meaning that he studied the law, meaning he knew it very well. How many of you know and understand that we are to study the word of God and we are to be able to interpret it and to learn it for ourselves? You know, it's 2016, people always busy, busy, going, going, going to ball games, going to work. They got school, doing this, doing that, hanging out with friends. You got different activities in church. And it seems like everybody is so busy doing all of these different things, but yet though they put God on the back burner, they put the word of God on the back burner. And it's amazing if you were to ask people a few biblical questions that a lot of people that have sat in church for a very long time would not know the answers of it simply because they do not study the word for themselves. But we must get a hunger, burning desire inside of us to open up the Bible and to learn it for ourselves. Because there are some things, honestly, you're never going to hear a preacher preach on. There are some things, honestly, you're never going to hear taught in a Bible study. But there are a lot of things in the word of God that apply to your lives and that can have great application, but simply you have to dive down deep into the word and study it for yourself. I tell you, being a preacher is tough at times, especially evangelizing. When you do back-to-back -back revivals, you may do six sermons in five days because I have to constantly be in God's word. At times, it's tough to manage it because on one hand, I have to study the word purely for myself. And then on the other hand, I have to study it for sermons. And I have to always be in his word, always reading something new, always going over something that I know very well, trying to rejog, trying to refresh my memory. But it's amazing, though, that when I stay into the word, I stay refreshed. Amen. I'm tired in my body right now. I worked night shift, worked 10 hours last night. That's why I woke up at 1 this morning. I am just very tired. You ever feel like that? I mean, to be honest with you, I'm just exhausted. However, though, in my spirit, there is a refreshness. However, in my spirit, I'm feeling pretty good. Because when I read in the Bible, I think to myself, man, these prophets went through all of this. Look at what Jesus endured going to the cross. So, therefore, I can keep on going. Whenever we get down, the word is encouragement. How are we going to ever witness with somebody and teach somebody about the word of God if we don't have it deep down inside of us? You know, it's one thing to pray for God to bring something back to your remembrance. But how can God bring something back to your remembrance? if you never had it in the first place. Amen. I can remember I had to repent because when I was a teenager, I'd oftentimes pray for God to help me on a test I really didn't study for. That never worked out too well. It's the same way with the word of God. How can God bring something back to your remembrance if it was never there? But isn't it amazing when you study his word, how it goes deep down in your heart and it stays there? Maybe you're one that you can't memorize a lot of scripture and quote a lot of scripture. But isn't it amazing whenever somebody's in a time of need, it's like it just pops in your head for you to give to that person. Amen. We've got to be very well diverse in the, in the word of God and study it because it truly is the bread of life. Speaking of eating, you eat every single day. And if you're like me, you love to eat. So I eat several times a day. Amen. I can't run today off what I ate yesterday or last week. It's the same way with the word of God. Amen. Our daily bread. Here it is, Ezra. He is leading the people. The temple has been uh, rebuilt, uh, rebuilt, and he is leading the people to go back 
to the temple. And the Bible says in verse 6 that the king granted him all of his requests. So it shows that Ezra had a very high position under the king. One thing that I think is awesome here it is he's leaving his high position to follow and to do what it is that God has laid on his heart. You must ask yourself, what's the motive of your heart? Is it to hold a high position? Is it to be in a very comfortable place? Or simply do you want to go and to do whatever it is that God has called you to do? How many of you know and understand that God did not call you to be comfortable? God never promised you a BMW, a nice house, a big salary and benefits and French benefits and a 401k and all of these other things. Ain't nothing wrong with having any of those things. And I hope that one day you do. But if you ever find yourselves in a high position and God calls you to leave that high position and to go do it, simply you have a decision to make. Am I going to feed self and my selfish desires or simply am I going to obey God and go and do what it is that he wants me to do? One thing that I love about Ezra, Ezra, he said, I have a very nice high position. The king loves me. Everything's going great and wonderful, but God has a work for me to do. And so here it is. He goes, and the king granted him all of his requests. In the last part of verse 6, according to the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. The hand of God is something very important. To have favor with men, you need to have favor with God. I can remember when I first started doing evangelism ministry. I did everything I was told to do. I got ministry cards. I would send them out to pastors. I would, I would record some of my sermons and send them to pastors. And no wonder that they wouldn't have me preach after listening to some of those sermons back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Some of my early sermons, I have burned those CDs and broke them so that nobody can ever use them as blackmail against me. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so here it is. I was doing everything they told me to do. I went to camp meeting, met pastors, did all of these different things. And I talked to Heath Tinker, which is now a pastor in Coleman. And I asked him, I said, what is it that I need to do? I've done everything I know to do. I, I, I'm willing to do anything. I said, how is it you have all these different preaching appointments, doing revivals, God's moving in your ministry? How is it? He looked at me and he said, Caleb, he said one word. I said, what's that? And I'm getting ready to get my pen and paper and, you know, write it down. And he said, favor. That's all he said. And I'm thinking to myself, here it is, I have all these people in my ear telling me I need to do all of these things to get my name known, to get more doors open. And here it is, a man that is actually doing what it is I want to do, a man that's actually called to do the same thing, being very successful. This is an anointed man, a man that has prayed with a woman that had cancer. She went back to the doctor. The cancer wasn't there anymore. This is a man that was preaching in Chicago one time, and a pastor's wife was so discouraged, they were about to get divorced and walk away from ministry, and God healed their marriage, and they called him weeks later and I asked him I said favor that's all that it is he said yes favor he said Caleb if you have favor with God he'll give you favor with men I think I was 19 20 years old at the time and that's something I've never forgotten and then studying for this it all came together what we need in our lives is we need the hand of God we need his favor we need that more than we need anything Ezra was somebody that had the hand of God on his life. And you see it very evident in the scripture. There is a number of times that it is mentioned over and over. The first time you see is in chapter 7, verse 6, where he said that the king granted him all of his requests. In verse 9 of chapter 7, it, di it directed him. In Ezra chapter 8, I'm sorry, in Ezra chapter 7, Verse 28, he was strengthened 
by the hand of God that was upon him. In Ezra chapter 8 and 18, a man was brought to him of understanding. And also in Ezra chapter 8 verse 31, God delivered them out of the uh, delivered them from the enemies by the hand of God. Notice the recurring pattern in all of those verses. Time and time again, it says, the hand of God. The hand of God. Was Ezra anyone special? Was there anything different about him than you and us? No, simply, he had the hand of God on his life. God gave him favor. God delivered him. God took care of him. God led him and guided him. How many of you want to have the hand of God on your life? How is it you get the hand of God on your life? The Bible says, In Ezra 17, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. First one is is to prepare your heart to seek the law of the Lord. As I mentioned a little bit ago, you have to get into the word. I know it almost seems like a redundant thing. You hear pastors and preachers say all the time, study the word, study the word, study the word. But I cannot stress to you enough. I cannot tell you the importance enough. You have to get into this word daily. Daily. I have to be in it daily. And and again, not just for working on sermons, just Caleb Gordon. Because one thing you must remember, yes, I am a preacher. And that's how most people think of me. However, though, I'm a Christian first. And I can't preach worth a flip. I have nothing to offer anybody if I don't have the word of God inside of me. How can, how can the Holy Spirit come out of me and deliver a message if I don't have anything inside of me? We have to seek his word. One thing I'm very thankful for is growing up in the household that I did. My dad was not a preacher, a missionary, but he was a Sunday school teacher. My dad is somebody that will read the Bible all the way through a couple times in in a year. This man is a reading machine. This is a man that will buy books that are this thick. He will sit down and read the whole thing in one day. He'll give it to me and ask me, have you read the book yet? And I'm like, I'm still in the introduction, and it's been like a week. So I grew up under a man that that really loves to read. And one thing about him, he loves the word of God. I can remember I was so impressed when I was a teenager because my dad would know the Bible very well and he would read it and we would always read it together and talk about it and discuss it. So I grew up at an early age seeing how important it was, having a burning desire to want to know more about God. Amen. Because I don't want to just know about God from, from hearing about him from other people, but I want to know who God is by reading his word for myself. So Ezra prepared his heart to seek the word of the Lord. Then the second one, it says in verse 10, and to do it. That is hard. I've been saying this for years. Preaching is easy. Living it is hard. Amen. Kind of like Paul said, at times I know what I ought to do, but at times what I find myself doing are two different things. But we have to do what the word says. The Bible says, the book of James, be not, be not hearers only, but doers of the word. If you've been in church for a long time, you know what the Bible says. You know right from wrong. But when the rubber meets the road, do you actually do what the Bible says? Do you follow the, the, the laws and the commandments? And do you live in a way that is pleasing to the almighty? Really, truly, are you doing what it is that God has called you to do? Are you loving? Are you gentle? Are you compassionate? Are you understanding? Are you there for people in their time of need? Do you share the love of God? Do you share the love of Christ? When people look at you, do they see you or can they actually see Christ Jesus living 
in you and through you. If people were, if you were, if can people tell that you are a Christian without you actually telling them that you are a Christian? People ought to be able to tell this just simply by the way that you live your life. Can they tell that you're a person of character? Can they tell you're a person of integrity? Are you hardworking? Do you show up early? Do you live? Do you leave late? Do you help other people out? Or can people tell that there's anything different about you at all? Or do they say, well, he's a good person, or she's, or she's a good person, but I really don't notice a difference. But I want to tell you here tonight, when you do what it is that God has called you to do, and you're living in a way that's pleasing to the Almighty, people will no longer look at you and see you. But when they look at you, they will see Jesus. See, people are looking for somebody. They're looking for something different. They're looking for wilderness. People are always talking about hypocrites in the church, and there's always going to be hypocrites in the church. There always has been. There always will be. But people are looking for somebody that is real, somebody that will live the word of God out. And here tonight, I hope that that person is you. Because God has a work that only you can do. Because God made you different from everybody else. Amen. You're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessing the city and the field. God has, a, has designed each and every single one of you with unique talents, giftings, and callings. I want to encourage you here tonight, don't feel like Gideon, feel like that you're the least of your house or that you're the least among anybody. My goodness, I always feel like I'm the least among the preachers. I'm the least among, uh, uh, among anybody. No false humility there. But I want to tell you here tonight that you are special. You weren't made by some accident because a man and a woman were in bed together. No, but the Bible says that you were created in the image of God. No two snowflakes are alike. No two people are alike. Even identical twins, they may have the same DNA, but at the end of the day, they're still two different people. God wants to use you in an extraordinary way, but we must do what the Bible teaches, and what he wants us to do. And it also says, and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. This is what God had called him to do, was to teach. Teaching, when you teach, you ought to have a burden. I know there's a couple of people in here called to ministry, and let me just talk to you for a moment. If you want to teach or preach, you have to be very passionate about what you're doing. And when I say that, I don't mean you have to have a fiery camp meeting preaching style. But simply, if you're not passionate when you're studying the word of God, how on earth are people going to be passionate when they're listening to you? If you want to preach, but you can't open up and read your Bible, how on earth or why on earth would God open the doors for you to go preach if he can't even trust you to be faithful in the simple things? I know it's tough. I, I, I know at times it's challenging. At times it's frustrating. I can remember when I was 19 or 20, I would get so frustrated. I'm like, God, you called me to preach four years ago. Here it is. I'm hardly preaching at all. But I can remember time after time, mentor after mentor, minister and pastor after pastor, they would say, Caleb, you got to get ready. You got to get ready. You may not have any doors opening right now. Nobody may invite you to preach right now, but you got to get ready because one day there's going to come a, a day that the doors are going to start to open. You're going to be busy working. You're going to be busy doing ministry and wife and kids and all these other things and you got to be ready now and have sermons prepared so I started doing that and then one day I looked in my binder I'm thinking man I've got 30 sermons no place to preach I said I'm just gonna keep on working on them so you got to go ahead and prepare yourself now for it is that God has called you to do 
If you're called to minister to the gospel, there's no reason at all that you should not be reading your Bible at least two to three hours a day. At least. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? I'm going to tell you when you're passionate about something, when you love it, you will make sacrifices. You will dive down deep into his word. Now, that's just a little bit of encouragement from ministers. Let me talk to the laity, and for the rest of you, maybe you don't feel called to preach. That actually applies to everybody. We ought to be so passionate about God that we want to spend time with him. We don't have a hard time making sacrifices except when it's making, I mean, we make sacrifices for things that we want to do, right? How often do your friends invite you to go out and you're like, man, I'm tired. I just got home. I got homework. But, yeah, sure, we can go to Mo's and hang out. How many times is it maybe you got, you know, seven, eight dollars left in your bank account and you're like, hey, yeah, I can go. We're going to have to get something off the dollar menu, but I can still go. You can be sick as a dog. Friends like, hey, you want to go see the new movie? The premiere is coming out uh, midnight Friday. And you're like, yeah, let's go. See, we have no problem making sacrifices for things that we enjoy. Why not do those same things for the house of God and the word of God and God, period? Why don't you go to bed late? Why don't you get up early? Why don't you turn off your television and spend time with God? Because I want to tell you, every sacrifice you make for the Lord, he will bless you. And when I say bless you, I don't mean a materialistic way, but I mean, it's like Paul said, all things that I counted as gain, I count them as loss just for knowing Christ. Friends, do you want to know him here tonight in a real deep, intimate way? Do you really want to get to know him? Because I want to tell you, God will speak to you. He will speak to your heart. The Bible says, Jesus said, that my sheep know my voice. You know, in life, we don't always know what's going to happen. I'm sure when Ezra was sitting under the king, I'm sure that he didn't think that one day that he would lead the people back to Jerusalem. But God used Ezra in a mighty, powerful way. If you keep reading in the story, the people were told not to intermingle, not to intermingle with people of other nations, not because of a race thing or a color thing or anything like that, but simply because that they were worshiping foreign gods, and God wanted the children of Israel to stay faithful to him. Well, the children of Israel, being rebellious, they went ahead and they married some fathering wives, some pagan wives. Ezra, one day, is raining, is storming. He stands up and he tells the people that they need to repent and to put away their foreign wives. I'm going to tell you, that's not exactly an easy thing to do. See, whenever you do what God's called you to do at times, he's going to tell you something that may be uncomfortable or may not be easy. If you are called to preach, you have to preach with passion and desire. You have to know that you heard the Holy Spirit. And as far as doing what God's called you to do, you have to stand up and preach sermons at times that won't be popular. I'm going to be honest. Not everybody's going to always shout you down every time. Not everybody's going to amen. Not everybody's going to hand clap you every sermon. But one thing I learned a long time ago, it doesn't matter if you hand clap me. It doesn't matter if you amen me. It doesn't matter after the, after the service if you told me if I did a good job. You can't always even base a good service 
service off altar calls, honestly, because sometimes people will come down here, run, dance, cry, scream, then they go out in the parking lot and cuss one another out. You can't always base it off that. But see, what you can base it off is simply being faithful to God and doing what it is he's called you to do and let the chips fall where they fall. Don't you worry about being successful in life or what people deem you as a, as a success. Ezra seemed very successful. Here it is, he's under the king. The king likes him a lot, but he left that high position to lead the children of Israel back to Jerusalem. I want to tell you, success is being faithful to God. That's what true success is. Because when you read in the Bible, the prophet seemed very unsuccessful. Jeremiah had a ministry for about 40 years. What did he get for his time? He got beaten, hung in stocks all day. He was hungry. At one point, he was lowered down into a pit that was like mud, cold, freezing, lonely. Does that sound like a fun reward for telling the people to repent? No. But he was very successful in God's eyes because he did what God told him to do. I tell you, when the hand of God is, is on your life, there will be blessings and things that come your way that you can't even explain, except by telling people it's by favoring the hand of God. Brandy, I remember um, your wife, Brandy, she told me one time working at St. Vincent's that she got a job that she wasn't qualified for, a promotion, transfer. You had to have a certain type of degree. I can't remember if it was a bachelor's or master's. And she told me that she got the job. And I was thinking to myself a year or two ago, that is amazing. I'm like, praise God. Thanks for telling me that. That is very encouraging. But do you see? That shows you right there the hand of God was on her life. How is it that she got a job she wasn't even qualified for, a job that required a certain degree? I'm going to tell you, the job market, it's very hard. It's been, it's been even tougher since 2008, since the recession hit. People being laid off, you go to apply for a job on the Internet, Every job says five years experience. How are you supposed to get a job that requires five years experience if, you just, if you're just getting into the workforce? It almost seems impossible. But see, when the favor of God is on your life, he can give you jobs that it may not even make sense of how you got it. God can open up doors that no man can shut. And praise God, he can shut doors that no man can open. But what you need to do here tonight, you need to seek the favor of our almighty God. We need the hand of God on our lives. Aren't you thankful here tonight that God God's hand is on this church of evangel. One thing that I love so much about this church, you want to know what it is, honestly? It's not the preaching. It's not the music. And y'all do those very well and very wonderful. But one thing that Tim told me before service, he said, Caleb, he said, give an altar call, let God move. And he said, as you know, we don't close the service out. See, I love that. That's why God's hand is upon us. We're not in any rush. We're not in any hurry. Hey, after I get through preaching, you're free to leave and go home or go hang out at Taco Bell if you want to. But my goodness, if you want to stay here and worship God, for another hour, that's okay too. See, I want to tell you here tonight, God's hand is on a church that will be open to what it is that God wants to do. Amen. I believe, honestly, some of you going to this church, you're so spoiled, you don't even realize it. I'm just being honest. God's hand is on this church. God's hand will be on your life. You just got to make him number one. Very simple, very simple formula is found in Ezra 7.10. Got to prepare your heart. What is your heart like? What's it really like? You know, we can only see the outward appearance of people. 
But it's like God told Samuel, he said, Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance like man does, but I look at the heart. Ezra had a clean heart. He had a good heart, pure motives. What kind of heart do you have tonight? Truth is, only you and God know, really. Has God's hand been on your life? If not, maybe there's some things in your heart that you need to get out that don't need to be there. I'm going to tell you, Caleb Gordon is still a work in progress. Amen. At times I feel like I'm not where I should be, but I praise God I'm not where I used to be. Daily I say, God, if there's something in my heart that doesn't need to be there, show me. And then when he shows me, it's up to me to do something about it, and that's the hard part. I've always been very short-tempered and anger, and so one thing I've really been working on in the past year or so is trying to be more like Christ. And I'm going to be honest, I'm a preacher. Uh, this may be my eighth year doing ministry, and at times I find that I have a little bit too much of Peter inside of me. But I'm trying to get the Peter out of me and get more Jesus in me. Amen. Because I want the hand of God on my life. Not for successful reasons. Not for ministry reasons. If I have two small little kids and I want the hand of God to be on their lives. Well, I'll tell you what success is. Success for me is one day my kids worshiping God and loving God when they're in their 20s. I want, I want the hand of God on my life so that if the devil has some type of plan or attack on my life, that God can deliver me from it just like he did Ezra. I want the hand of God on my life so that I can use it as a testimony and I can tell other people, hey, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing different about me, but I can be an encouragement and I can tell people, if you will walk upright, if you will stay in his word, if you'll stay faithful to church, if you'll do what it is that God's called you to do, he can do the same things in your life. Amen. I want the hand of God on my life and I never want to leave. Because I'm going to tell you, I can't do this by myself. When I try doing things by myself, it's just a big old mess. Hey, man, if you ever tried to make a smoothie before and forgot to put the top on the blender, then you started it. That's the type of messes I make in life when I try to do things on my own. But when God's hand is on my life, things are not always easy, don't always turn out the way that I think they would or maybe even like they should. But it seems everything just kind of flows a lot more smoothly. Amen. You know, I've read the story of Jonah a few times, and I don't want to go through what he went through. So I'd rather just obey God. Because the truth is, Jonah did what God told him to do anyways. He just had to go take a short detour. Ezra teamed up with Nehemiah, and they continued to do a great work together. I want to tell you here tonight, one thing that's very awesome is you have so many people around you here that love God. And what you need to do is find you two or three friends that love God, they're on fire for him like you are. Keep one another accountable. And together, continue to seek God. There's this new saying that we don't want the hand of God, we want the face of God. I tell you, when I hear stuff like that, I just get disgusted. People are always trying to come up with these new clever sayings. They're trying to impress people. 
there are some ministers trying to come up with these creative sermon series because they want to preach something that nobody's ever heard before. They want their church to grow and all these different things. But I want to tell you, when you study the word for yourself, you want the hand of God on your life. Amen. God is a good God. And he is faithful to us, even though we're not faithful to him. The children of Israel, they had intermingled with people of the other nations, and they had married some pagan wives. And they had agreed to separate themselves. How many of you know as a child of God, you got to separate yourself from some people? Amen. I was speaking to teenagers, young adults, the whole missionary dating, the evangelism dating thing, that doesn't exactly work. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, there was, you know, there, there was one pastor that he uh, dated a woman, and he took her to a Perry Stone meeting, and she got saved. And they're married today and doing great ministry. You know, a few cases like that may happen or whatever, but for the most part, don't try that missionary dating thing. You know, you know, don't have it in your mind, well, I can just date anybody and convert them. No, because what's going to happen, friend, instead of them converting more than likely, they might actually pull you down. They might pull you out of church. My goodness, you can look around. There are a lot of teenagers, young adults that used to be here years ago. They're no longer here. I want to tell you, you got to be careful who you date. I want to tell you girls and you guys, you don't need to be missionary dating somebody that's not saved, somebody that's not living right. Now, nah, if they won't come to church, what you need to do, you need to separate yourselves from them. You need to separate yourselves from some of your friends. I can't tell you how many of my friends I used to be close with used to always hang out together in middle school and high school, and I had to separate myself from them. I said, hey, I'm here if you ever need me. Just call on my name. I'll be right there. But see, they're too busy getting drunk, too busy smoking, too busy going to bars and nightclubs and all these other things I wouldn't even think about for half a second. See, I had to separate myself from them so I wouldn't get intermangled with them. Because I'm going to be honest, I've always been so fearful of messing my calling up. I've always been fearful. To fear the Lord is wisdom. God called me to preach. I know that, and that's evident to me, but I could mess the whole thing up. All it takes you is just doing one foolish thing one time. Never been to a bar. Never been to a nightclub. There was a thing on uh, the first 48 the other day. These two people were at a nightclub. One hit the other one. The guy that ran into him, he got mad, took his gun out, and shot the other guy, even though he was the one that hit him. See, we don't think about these things. That kind of stuff happens. I guess you could say being at the wrong place at the wrong time. But that's why you got to be careful not to entertain those things. Separate yourself from the world. Certain movies you can't watch. I'll be honest, I love war movies. My dad is a history buff. He, he loves all that stuff. I love it too. Every man in my family, except for me, has either been electrician, military, some have done both. I love war movies. I can't watch them because they use God's name in vain. My goodness, 20, 30 times in every movie. Some people are like, well, it's no big deal. It's just the way it is. Well, if that's just the way it is, I can't watch it. It's not popular preaching, is it? But that's what God's called us to. Strive for holiness. When you separate yourself from the world, when you separate yourself from things that you don't need to be affiliated with, from people, if you really want the hand of God on your life, you will. It's that simple. 
It's a decision that you can make, and only you alone can make it. What do you truly want? I mean, to be honest, the world is going to hell and all the things in it. But if we continue to live a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Almighty, one day we're going to be raptured home and spend all eternity with him. There was a girl the other day that posted on my Instagram. She's very confused, and she was telling me that she had a vision that God's going to leave her, that she's a Christian now, but God's going to leave her here through the rapture, and she's going to lead a lot of people to Christ. And I didn't even respond because obviously she's very confused theology-wise and just period. But I want to tell you, you don't want to miss the rapture. Let's be honest. If you can't live for God now, with the Holy Spirit moving the way that he is throughout the earth, if you can't live for God right now, how on earth will you do it when the world is in chaos, when the Antichrist has risen, and when they say you have to have this mark put on your right hand or your forehead to buy or trade food, when the Antichrist is going through destroying churches, knocking them down, when he's killing people that say that they're Christian, if you can't live for God right now, how on earth would you do it then? I want to tell you, friends, we're in the last hour, the last days. But I believe that God still has a remnant of people that he's going to place his hand upon and raise them up for such a time as this. I don't know about you. I love, I love hearing stories from older pastors telling me about revivals, and I love studying history about Azusa Street and all those different things, but I find myself more and more thinking, you know, if God can do that back then, can he do it now? And the answer to that is yes. I don't know about you, friends, but I want to be in the middle of what God is doing. David said it like this, I was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. The hand of God was on David's life. He messed up. He had some slip-ups. So did Peter. I know I've had mine. No one's perfect except for Christ. But at the end of the day, do you really want the hand of God on your life? Are you hungry for him? Do you desire him more than you want anything? There's a guy at my church right now. He's seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And Sunday night, he came up to me and he told me, he said, Caleb, he said, I want it. He said, I believe in it. And he said, but I just haven't gotten it yet. He said, I don't know what to do. And I said, friend, I said, don't be discouraged. I said, I know what it's like. I said, man, I grew up Methodist. I said, when I came in Church of God, I said, it took me a while. I said, I'm the dude that went to Winterfest in, uh, in uh, Tennessee. I said, 3,000 teenagers got it, and I still didn't get it. I said, so I understand. But I said, man, I said, you just got to hold on. And then I began sharing my testimony with them how I got it. I said, man, I said, tears were running down my eyes. And I said, God, I want you more than I want my next breath. And I said, God, only you can give it to me. And then the next few minutes, oh my goodness, I started preaching. I mean, I started, um, yeah, I almost started preaching. Then all, of a sudden, <laughs> then all of a sudden, I started praying in a holy language. See, I want to tell you here tonight, you got to have an overwhelming, burning desire for God. That the world can't put your fire out. Do you have that here tonight? Can I tell you, friends, God's hand will always be on your life as long as you submit yourself to him. 
And I tell you, you want to know the awesome thing about ministry? It is seeing what people do years later. I'm just going to be honest. I can't wait 10, 15 years from now if Jesus hadn't come back. I'm praying he comes back before the election. But if he hasn't come back in 10 or 15 years, I'm excited one day to see what some of y'all are doing. I am. I'm excited to see where Austin's going to be at years from now. Madeline, Timmy, Zach, I could go through Hoss. I could name every person in this sanctuary. I'm excited years from now to see how many people y'all have won to the Lord. I tell you, it's going to be an awesome thing. But, friends, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Can we finish strong? If you would, please stand. I'm ready to close tonight. Amen. The thing that makes all the difference in the world in your life is the hand of God. Favor. I tell you, that's what I want. That's what I want to walk in. Here tonight, I just want to give you opportunity to spend some time with God. And like the children of Israel, ask God, is there anything that you need to separate yourself from? And as he speaks to your heart, and believe you me, he will speak to you, I just pray you simply listen and obey. God led Ezra and told Ezra what to do, and he obeyed him. That's how simple it is. Here tonight, I just want to give you a time, whether you want to stay in your seat, whether you want to come down here, just spend some time seeking God. Chasing after him. Amen. We need to be running away from the world and running after God. Amen. Here tonight, if you put some worship music on, let's just seek God together.